Okay, well, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus 8, we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus. We're seeing God's redemption of his people, the nation of Israel, and his judgment on Egypt and their false gods. Now, as we look at this, think about this. Um, he's going to show his power as he delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. And in the past few weeks, what we've been doing is seeing God judging Egypt with the plagues. And you have a couple of handouts. One of them is one that just says the ten plagues, and it's got pictures. Then the other one is a little bit different. It has the plagues, but it shows you the pattern that uh, there's basically the plagues were three, 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 and one. If you notice the pattern, that in the morning, in the palace, to Pharaoh at the palace, and then no warning. Then in the morning, then Pharaoh in the palace, and no warning. Then in the morning, and so it's the pattern that that goes on. And and uh, so there's a lot of things in there how it fits. The, the supernatural events were not only to judge the false gods of Egypt, but also to reveal the power of the true God of Israel. We're seeing the response of Pharaoh, the king. I mean, he's stubborn, and he refuses to yield to the God of Israel. I wonder what would have happened if after the very first plague, or even before the first plague, if he would have said, uh, I recognize that there is a God of Israel, and he is true God, and and the people may go. I mean, what, what would have happened? Well, we just don't know, because it didn't, and it goes all the way through ten plagues. He stated, I do not know the Lord, and I refuse to accept the truth that God is in control. And that, in fact, that's one of the things we're going to see. No matter what happens, he will never, he does not, until the very end, admit that God is in control. He wants to be in control. This evening, three more plagues that come onto the land of Egypt. How will Pharaoh respond? As we see this, we see the sovereign power and glory of God, and we see the stubborn pride of Pharaoh. And of course, we, we want to rest in our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we want to live a life that pleases Him, and we'll see it as we go through. We, we're going to start tonight at Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. If you remember, we stopped where we did the first 19 verses last time, and then we'll start tonight at verse 20, and then go into chapter 9 because we're going to see the next three plagues and we'll see how that fits together. Well, let's begin with prayer and then we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. Thanks for a great night as we come together to study the Word of God, to to um, to, to pray and to talk to you and to just uh, uh, have a great time. Thank you for the food that you provided for us. What a great meal tonight, Lord. And we just thank you for all those people who cooked it and handed it out and took care of all those things. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can come any every Wednesday night and have a great time like that and also to study the Word. Lord, we just ask you that as we look at the book of Exodus that you would teach us, we can see things in this book that uh, we see about your power and your Godhead and your truth and, and all these things, and we can learn from your Word. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think one of the hardest things to do that any of us have to admit, really, is to admit that we're wrong. I mean, we don't want to really say we're wrong. We want to say, well, I mean, I just didn't have enough information. So if I had the right information, I wouldn't be wrong. We don't want to say we made a mistake. I read a story, really, of two brothers that they were in their early 20s, and they had this argument. And neither one would admit the other was wrong, and they stopped speaking to the other. And that went on and on and on, and they even broke their relationship. People in the family tried to get them back together. Years passed. Uh, nobody, as time went by, nobody was even sure anymore what exactly they argued over. They refused to speak at the funeral of their parents. I mean, just, you know, just horrible things. Pride and stubbornness kept them apart. As far as we know, they never reconciled. Why is it so hard to admit that we're wrong. Well, I think it's pride. I th you don't want to say you're wrong. You, you, you want to say, no, no. There's an old saying that a person who is too big for their britches will be exposed in the end. Now, that's an old saying. But let's think about this. <laughs> It'll take a little bit for some of you. But anyway, uh, look right here. When we think about pride, what caused the fall of Satan? 
It was pride because he wanted to be lifted up. He wanted to be like the Most High. What caused the fall of man? Well, the bottom line, it boiled down to that they would be like God. It's always the pride thing. How easy is it for you and for me to admit that we're wrong? It's not that easy. Uh, How do we deal with pride? As we look at this passage this evening, we're going to see Pharaoh, and he definitely is a man of pride. He is stubborn. He refuses to recognize the God of Israel as the true God. He refuses to recognize that God is in control. And Pharaoh wants to think that he's in control, but as we see from the plagues, it's obvious that he's not in control. I mean, he's not controlling the plagues. God is controlling the plagues. Why is this man so stubborn? Well, for the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that in Egypt, Pharaoh was considered to be a god. So if he obeys the God of Israel, he'll have to be admitting that he's not as powerful a God as the God of Israel. And once again, that's pride. Well, let's think about the purpose of the plagues. Why did God bring the plagues? Well, first of all, it was the judgment, judgments on the false gods of Egypt. And that's one of the things we talked about. And, and every one of these plagues dealt with one of the gods of Egypt. And so there's actually ten different plagues dealt with that. It was the purpose of the plagues was to know that God is the Lord, that he is the true God. And I'm sorry that it's supposed to be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D right there. The purpose of the plagues is all capital because that's the person name of God. That's what's found in these passages that they know that he is the true God. And then the purpose of the plagues was to reveal God's power. So judgment on a false God, to know that the Lord is the true God and to reveal his power. Now, I've given you the handouts, but remember the pattern? And I think it's pretty amazing. And it just seems funny that that we've, we've always, and, and maybe, you've, maybe you knew this before, but just the fact that there, there was a pattern in these plagues, that, that he would, they would go in the morning and then the second one, they'd go to Pharaoh, and the third one, no warning. And then they'd go in the morning, and then they'd go to Pharaoh, and there'd be no warning. Then they'd go in the morning, they'd go to Pharaoh, there'd be no warning. Now, tonight, we've already seen the first three. Tonight, we're going to see plagues four, five, and six. And, of course, as we studied, you're going to see it's going to be in the morning. They're going to go. Then the second one, they're going to go to Pharaoh. And then the third one tonight, there's not going to be any warning. That's a pattern that went over and over and over. And uh, I think we got it. Yeah, we got it right there. We've seen the first three. Think about it. In the morning, river to blood. Then they went to Pharaoh, and the frogs covered the land. And then the third one was no warning because those gnats came up everywhere. Each one of those is a a judgment on the God, the Nile River was considered a god. The frog, there was a goddess of fertility that had a woman's body and a frog head. And then there's a god of the earth called Sib, and that's where the gnats came up out of. And so each one of these are the judgments against the gods of Egypt. So it's pretty powerful. Uh, we saw that, that in the third plague, the magicians in Egypt said... Uh, this, is from, this is from the hand of God. You know, if you're Pharaoh and you're going, wait a minute, what do you mean the hand of God? Uh, we're, we're gods. I'm a god. There's a lot of gods. What do you mean the hand of God? That's what I'd be saying, but I don't think he's saying that. He's realizing something. This evening, three more of the plagues, and we see the pattern again. We understand as we study through this, God's power and majesty, the idea of dealing with pride, and the idea of standing for our Savior, and we'll see it as we go through. Let me break down the passage for you tonight. First of all, in eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 20 through 32, which takes the end of this chapter. It's the fourth plague, and it's these insects. And then in 9, 1 through 7, it's the fifth plague, the death of livestock. Now, if you have read these, if you have read the book of Exodus, and if you have studied these plagues, you might see a problem. Now, I don't know if anybody caught the problem, but if you've read all ten plagues, did you see a problem? Because plague number five is the death of livestock. But one of the plagues following this, a little further up, 
is hail is going to come out of the sky, and he says, you better get all your livestock and people out of the fields. I thought, I thought it's death of livestock. How could there be livestock left uh, not too long from now? So we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there in just a little bit. And then the sixth one is the plagues, the boils and the sores and all those kind of things. So it sounds like a really fun time, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. We already thought last time that all those frogs were everywhere. And I mean, we're not talking about just a few frogs hopping around. The ground's covered with frogs. They're on everything. They're in the beds. They're in the in the, the places where they cook. They're all over the count. They're everywhere. And they finally those plagues were gone. And they, I mean, those frogs were gone. And then those gnats came up and they were just everywhere, all over the place. And if you've ever been somewhere and these bugs are on your face and you're going, boy, I wish these things would leave me alone, you can just almost picture what's happening. Well, let's see. Uh, as we look at this, we see the the stubborn pride and the mighty power of God. Stubborn pride of Pharaoh and the mighty power of God. Well, let's see the fourth plague. The fourth plague. Look at verse 20. Now, what's the pattern? What's going to happen? It's going to be in the morning. Notice how it starts. Now, the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. So here's the fourth plague. The Lord says to Moses, once again, that this is from the Lord. He's in control. He's working all the plagues. And here's the pattern. What does it say? Rise up early in the morning. Go to Pharaoh as he goes to the Nile. If you go all the way back to the very first of the plagues, it talked about go out to the Pharaoh as he's going out to the Nile. I mean, it's the, it's the idea there that it's going the same pattern. And we see the cycle. Don't you know that Pharaoh is tired of seeing Moses? I mean, Pharaoh is getting up in the morning. Who's the first person he sees when he's going out? It's Moses coming. And he's probably saying, I wish this guy would leave me alone. Now, I like the, the, what he says here in verse 20. He says, thus says the Lord, but very end of verse 20, let my people go that they may what? Serve me. Who are they serving now? They're serving Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh is a false god. Moses is saying, God says, let my people go that they may serve me. They're not supposed to serve you. You're not a god. Egypt's not a god in that sense. You, Pharaoh's not a god. They're supposed to serve me because I'm the true god. They're the serve, the true god of Israel, not the false god or gods of Egypt. And so here's what he says. Verse 21, if you do not let my people go, Behold, I will send swarms of insects on you and on your servants and on your people and in your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of insects and also the ground on which they dwell. Now, swarms of insects. I think the next slide talks a little bit about it. There are two things. Why these flies? The word really was like flies. It was like there are just going to be flies everywhere. One, it was, it was a symbol of the army, some of the flies. But there was a god that, there was a god that was, that, uh, was like a fly that they thought was a god. They, they called it Vashtit and then, and that, and that was a god. But they're also tied in somehow. And you know, the, the Egyptian words kind of fit together. They thought maybe it had something to do with the beetle too because you, you've seen that kind of thing and so he's saying there's going to be these insects coming and they're coming everywhere but here's the notice you remember i raised the point last week when the frogs came when the river turned to Nile, the river now turned to blood did it affect the hebrews too did it it did and when when the frogs came everywhere did it come to the hebrews yes and then what was the third one the gnats were the gnats everywhere notice this verse 22 on that day I will set apart the land 
of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of insects will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, now notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that I and the Lord am in the midst of the land. Now, he does something different than he's done before. He sets apart his own people. Up to this time, when the river turned to blood, it affected everybody. When the frogs came, it affected everybody. When the it, the gnats came, it affected everybody. But now he says, I'm sending all these flies, these insects, these things are coming. But what I'm going to do is different. It's not going to affect my people. I'm setting apart my people. On that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Remember, they lived in Goshen. where my, and That's the northern part of Egypt. Where my people are living so that the snowstorms of insects are going to be there. In order that you will know, you will know that I'm the Lord in the midst of all of this. Where my people are living, none of the flies will come. There will be no swarms of insects. What's the purpose of the judgments? So that Pharaoh, the judgments on their gods, and that Pharaoh would know that there is a true God. That's the whole purpose. Watch verse 23. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign will occur. Now, the word division is a, is, is a little bit weird because the word literally, I think I put it there, the word literally a ransom. He literally says, I will ransom my people. Now, to ransom something is to purchase it, is to, is to take, you know, to, to buy, to purchase it. And what he's really saying is, I'm setting apart my people and I'm protecting them. They're my people. And I'm going to put a division. That's why it's translated in English. I'll put a division between my people. Because if they just put, I will ransom my people, we might go, what is he talking about? He's saying, I'm putting a division. And tomorrow, this sign will occur. By saying tomorrow, what is he doing? He's what? I can't hear you. He's, that's right. But who's in control? He could have said, and, and sometime this will happen. No, no, no. Tomorrow, this will happen. Because God is saying, I am directing these things. And so, tomorrow, this will happen. Now, what I think is pretty neat is that God is showing that the Jews are His special people. Set them apart to represent the true God. Now, you ever thought about this? We've been ransomed. We've been purchased by paying a price. We've been set apart. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are set apart in Christ. It's called, the Hebrew or the Greek word is hagios, which is the word for saint. That's why believers are called saints, because we're set apart ones. By faith in Jesus Christ, we're children of God. We're the church. We're the set apart ones. We're ambassadors for Christ. We get to proclaim the truth. So the truth is we're set apart. In the same way that God says, I set apart my nation uh, Israel in Egypt, I set them apart. He says to the world, everyone who believes in me, I set them apart. I ransom them. They're my people. Well, the sign is that tomorrow this is going to happen. Well, look at verse 24. Because let me ask you a question. If God said tomorrow is going to happen, what's going to happen? It's going to happen tomorrow, right? If he said it was on Thursday, it would happen Thursday. If he said uh, two weeks from now it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God, whatever God says happens. Look at the very next verse. Then the Lord did so. <laughs> he did just what he said. And there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh, into the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. I mean, there are these bugs, flies, in, they're everywhere. And, and I don't think we can picture it. I mean, it's not like there's some... You ever, I mean, let's just say this. You've been in a place and there's a lot of flies. If you've been eating out watermelon, chicken... Boy, that sounds good. Anyway, stuff like that. You're eating outside and the flies are coming in. You're going, boy, these flies are everywhere. Well, 
We're not talking about a few flies over food. We're talking about the whole air. Everything is covered with these flies. I mean, the probably you can't only see because there are all these flies and bugs and everywhere. And so it says, so the Lord did so, and there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. Well, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Verse 25, Pharaoh called for Moses. Now notice, Moses didn't go to him. He calls for Moses. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God. Now notice, where? What does it say? Within the land. Now what have they already told him? They want a three-day journey. But three-day journey would be out of Egypt. We're supposed to leave Egypt. He said, no, you can't ever leave. But now the flies have come, and so he said, okay, I've, I've changed my mind. You can sacrifice to your God, but it's got to be what? Who's in control? Who is? No. Pharaoh thinks he's in. Pharaoh said, yeah, you can go do it, but it's got to be where? In the land. See, I'm deciding. Pharaoh still thinks he's deciding. He says, but you can go, but you have to do it within the land. Notice the problem. He wants to still be in control. It's pride. Okay, I'll let you go, but you got to stay in my land. Pharaoh realizes that the true God's in control, not him. Now, watch the answer. Moses said, it's not right to do so. <laughs> Why? Well, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? He says, listen, when we do sacrifices, some of the things that we'll sacrifice, the Egyptians thinks are what? They're sacred to God. So he says, if we do this in the land and the Egyptians watch us do this, they'll come over here and kill us because they'll say, you can't do that. He says, if we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? I mean, he basically says, you're saying it's okay. We can't leave the land. We can sacrifice here. We're saying, no, it won't work because they'll try to kill us because we, uh, we'll sacrifice what? Some cows. And the Egyptians think the cows are what? They're gods. They think they're a god. Uh, Just try to go to India and do something with a cow running across the street and see what will happen to you. He says we must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Why? As he commands us. We have to do as God commands. We can't do what you command, Pharaoh. You say you can do it, but you can do it here. God already told us a three-day journey out there. Moses is saying that obedience to God is not an option. God said three days journey. We're going three days journey. What does the Bible say? If it says certain things, what should we do? Obey it. Now, you, we understand that you, there's interpretation and you look at scriptures, you've got to understand it historically, literally, grammatically, understand how it fits together. But when we understand what the scripture says, we are to obey the word of God. There is not this, well, I don't know, I don't really like that, or well, I don't know, I, I kind of do my own thing. There's a lot of people who look at the scripture and they say, well, I don't really believe they did this here, and I don't think they parted a Red Sea there, and I don't think Jonah actually was in a, the belly of a fish, and sure, I don't think there was really an Adam and an Eve, and, and not a literal Adam and Eve, and I don't think, what are these people saying? That they're the, jo- the, the judge, 
of the Word of God rather than the Word of God is the judge of us. This is the written Scripture from God. It is perfect and true and exactly right. We're not the judge of the Scripture. The Scripture is the judge of us. Pharaoh is saying, I'm telling you, uh, I'll let you do your deal, but you got to do it here. And they said, if God said three days journey in the wilderness, we're going three days in the journey in the wilderness because whatever God says is right. And we must obey the Scripture. And let me tell you something. What Moses is really saying is, whatever God says to do, I'm going to do. And we do we have the courage to stand for God and obey Him in our world and our culture? Because in our world and our culture, they say, this is just a book. You, you don't hold to this stuff, do you? You sure are intolerant. You sure don't know anything. Did you never go to school? Uh, you don't believe this, do you? You don't think that. Right? You're so old-fashioned. That, that's gone out years ago. Do you stand for the truth of the Scripture? Do we have the courage to do that? When we walk with Christ, we will be out of step with the world. There's no doubt about it. It has been said that it is one thing to read the Bible, it is another thing to live it out. We must be willing to live out what we believe. Well, notice his answer. He is under great pressure. The nation's having a hard time. The river to blood, the frogs, the gnats, now insects. Look what he says. Tell me if he's still thinking he's in control. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God. Where? In the wilderness only. You shall not go very far away. Who's in control? Pharaoh thinks he's in control. He's saying, okay, 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 I got you. You could do it here. No, okay. All right, I'll let you go, but you can't go very far. You cannot go very far because I'm the one that decides. Uh, He's still trying to be in control. Who's in control in this whole situation? God is working all things. It, It reminds me, if you remember, and we'll see it, we'll see it in... It'll, it'll be a pretty long time from now, but it'll be in John and, Ch- and the Sunday morning passage when, when Jesus is being tried and, and uh, Pilate comes in and, and uh, says, uh, answer me. And Jesus didn't really answer him. And he says, hey, what, don't you understand that I have the power of life and death that I can decide whether you live or die? And Jesus looks at him and said, only power you have has been given you from above. The only reason you get to decide anything is because God letting you decide anything. You're not in control here. Who was in control in the trials of Jesus Christ? Jesus was, right? He laid down his life. He took it up again. He's in control. Well, I let you go, but, 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 but you can't go very far. Look at Moses' answer. Verse 29, Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of insects may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let the Pharaoh deal, deceit, deal deceitfully again and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. He says, I just want you to know God's in control and so it's going to be tomorrow. And what he's actually said is, I'll let you go. Now, you can't go very far. But Moses is saying, you don't know how far we're going to go. You have no control over how far we go. And he actually tells Pharaoh, don't deal deceitfully again. Now think about this. This is, this is a Hebrew who's supposed to be a slave, a Jewish slave, telling the God of Egypt, don't you deal deceitfully again with the Lord. Don't you deal deceitfully by not letting the people go. 
Don't let it be like last time. Verse 30. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of insects from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Wow. They're all gone. How would you feel if you were an Egyptian and they left? You'd go, wow. I'm glad this over. That was horrible. That was horrible. They were just everywhere. They just driving us crazy. You take a piece of food and before you could even get it in your mouth, there's flies and everything all over. We, we, it was just a horrible time. But, verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. And he did not let the people go. Every time, what has Pharaoh done? Every time after every plague. He's hardened his heart. Who's doing the hardening of the heart? Pharaoh is. Just remember that. He refused to acknowledge the Lord. Pride is so damaging. When a man is wrapped up in himself, he makes a pretty small package. And that's what we got here. He has lied, he's refused. So watch, here's the fifth plague. Now what's the cycle? The the fourth one's a in the morning. What's the fifth one? What's the cycle? He's gonna go gonna go to the Pharaoh. And so, here's the plague. He's going to go to Pharaoh. Look at chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, all capitals, the personal name of God, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may what? Serve me. It's the same thing over and over. The purpose of the Hebrew people, he said, they're supposed to serve me. They belong to God and to serve him, not Pharaoh. Now watch. If you refuse, for if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. Now, you have to notice something carefully, because if you go on a little further, there's going to be a hailstorm, and he tells them, you better get your animals inside, or they will die. But right here it says that he's going to bring a plague, a severe plague upon all the livestock. Now there's a key word, which are where? In the field. This judgment is on the animals that are out in the field. It's not on all the animals. Because later on, there's more animals that are going to get hit by the, the storm. So if you're not careful, you'll think, well, if all the animals died here, how are there any animals left for the hailstorm? And we'll see it's because it was in the field. So let's see what the slide is here. It's why in the field? It's in the field. Why animals? Because there was a bull God called Athos, and that was their God. And the Egyptians held these animals to be sacred. And so they're saying, he says, there's going to be a plague on your animals, especially ones you think are God. Wow. So what happens? Verse 4. He says, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. He says, once again, I just want you to understand, nothing belonging to Israel will die. The Lord set a definite time saying, and guess what? When do you think it's going to be? Tomorrow. It's just about everything's tomorrow, isn't it? Doesn't he always say, Tomorrow? When he doesn't give a warning, it happens. When he gives a warning, he always says what? Tomorrow. The plague will come out. 
Tomorrow. But anyway, that's what he said, okay? So the Lord said a definite time. Uh, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. The Lord did it. Judgment on the false gods. I love this part right here. Look, Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the livestock of Israel dead. He, he sent somebody over there. He said, go over there and see if any of theirs died. And they go to Goshen and they go, no, they're all fine. All theirs out in the field are fine. All lives are in the field are all dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. See, Pharaoh is the one hardening his heart. You realize we've got five plagues and after every plague, Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Number six. What's the cycle of number six? No warning. That's what's going to happen. But I think we, there, here we go. So the sixth plague, no warning. Watch what he says. Look at verse eight. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handful of soot from the hill and, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. He's not going to give Pharaoh any warning on this one, just like that third one. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will come boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. See, now, if you look at this, where are the, how are you getting any beast if they all just died? They didn't all just die. What died? The winds in the field. That's the way you have to understand it. There's no warning. He's, there's going to be soot from the kill and he's going to throw this stuff up in the air. He's going to throw this stuff up and it's going to become disease. Watch. It will become fine, verse 9, it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kill and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. Can you imagine? He comes before Pharaoh, picks it up, and goes. And all of a sudden, it starts spreading out, and people start going, oh my gosh, oh, oh, ooh, ow, ow, what is, oh, it's a sore coming up. What is it? Oh, oh. Oh, I can't sit down. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, what's going to happen to these people? It's breaking out all over all of them. And notice verse 11. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the magicians were like the, the, the ones that could try to, try to do all this magic and things. And there's two reasons. When it says they couldn't stand, it probably meant, it could mean they were physically sick. And I think that's what it really means. I think it, there's another view that says that it meant that they were unable to deal with the true God when it said they couldn't stand before Moses because of the boils. I think he's saying they couldn't even stand up. They were so sick and they had so many sores on them and all that kind of stuff. If you've ever had a boil or a place that got infected and you and you know and you wrap it up I mean you just realize how much pain that is what if it's all over your body think about these people I mean if you're the average guy you're saying Pharaoh would you let him go I think we've had enough of this stuff right wouldn't you say it the average guy would say get the word to Pharaoh to get these people out of here it's killing us. We've lost our animals. We've lost, I mean, there's frogs everywhere. There's flies everywhere. There's disease everywhere. Everything is it's just terrible. We can't stand this. Well, why boils? Well, because some, they say that there was a, go ahead, go to the next one. There was a thing, thing called Typhon who was called an evil genius. He was a, a magician, and that's one of the one of their gods. And so they think that one of the reasons that the boils came and especially hit the magicians where they couldn't stand because it was showing that they 
couldn't stand because it represented the, the false power. And so, the, by the way, and I read some things about these so-called magicians. They were noted for their extreme cleanliness. You know, a lot of Egyptians, what, how, did, how was their hair? How was their hair? Do you know? It was shaved. They, didn't have, they shaved their hair off their bodies. Cleanliness. They didn't want any, they didn't even want hair on their bodies. And now, these, these magicians who were noted for extreme cleanliness, they got boils and sores and stuff all over them. And we'd go, that is so gross. Right? It is. It's gross. But we've got to change here. Notice verse 12. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. A change. So far, Pharaoh is hardened. Now the Lord hardens. Is the Lord making Pharaoh not obey? Up to this point, he hadn't at all. I mean, in fact, the Lord's only doing what Pharaoh's already done, right? God is in control. The sovereign act of God ties in with the choice of man. We've talked about before that God is sovereign, man has freedom, they all fit together. Three more plagues tonight. The judgment on God is that they would know the power of the true God. We saw, the, let's say, the flies, the livestock, and the boils all on three gods of Egypt to show we see the sovereign power of God and the stubborn and rebellious pride of Pharaoh. Notice down at verse 16. We'll see this uh, next time. But look what it says. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to... This is God speaking to Pharaoh. For indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in power in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name throughout all the earth. And look at verse 17. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Pride. It is a dangerous thing to have pride. <laughs> it's probably the cause, it's probably the root of every sin you can think of. Why do you lie? Why would you lie? Well, you don't want really anybody to find out you were wrong about something or you did something wrong or did you do this and if you, you were supposed to do something and you doing, didn't do it and somebody, your boss said, did you do this? And you go, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get the thing. Well, you're lying. You don't want to say, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So in order to cover up, you, your pride says, I'm lying. The bottom line is almost all of sin, almost all of the sins that we do go back to pride, to cover up. Why do we, why do we, uh, why do we covet things? We say, I should have that. Why should you have that? Because I should. I'm, 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 I'm as good as they are. I'm better than they are. Why do they have that and I don't? That's pride. Pride and envy. Where does it all come from? It all comes back to pride. Well, what have we seen? Three more plagues, judgment on the gods, God's power over Pharaoh, and God makes himself known. Let me give you some applications. The first one is rest in the sovereign power of God. Think about it. He's in control. He works all things according, uh, all things together for good. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector in our lives. He is everything. In this passage, we see his power. He is working everything. And, and listen, Pharaoh, who thinks he's in control, had no control. And if you, if your Pharaoh would tell you the truth, he would say, I don't know what's happening here. I don't have any control over any of this stuff. That's what he'd say. Now, he's not saying that, but that's really true. In the circumstances of life, God is in control. We've got to trust him. Second is, don't let pride rule us. 
Now, here's there's two aspects of pride that I want you to think about. Number one, think about how Pharaoh exalted himself and continued to harden his heart. But first of all, don't let pride stop you from trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, most of this room, I, I probably know all, all of you, and I would say all, hopefully all of you have already trusted in Christ. But let's say somebody hasn't trusted in Christ. Don't let pride stop you because a lot of people say, well, I don't need a Savior. I think I can do that. I think I can be good enough. I really haven't done anything wrong. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I need this. That's just pride. Don't let pride stop you from ever trusting Christ as Savior. Because you can't save yourself. You need to recognize that you can't do it. You see, we come to the end of ourselves when we say, I, there's not one thing I can ever do to gain salvation. I have to trust in Jesus and Him alone. It's not based on me or my faithfulness or my goodness or anything that I do. There's no pride involved there. Second thing is, as far as believers, don't let pride stop you from growing. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to do anything for us. We're here to serve the living God. And in pride, we could say, well, what's in it for me? I still always remember Field of Dreams, which I liked the movie. And, and Ray, you know, had built that field and tore up all his corn and had all the baseball field and all these things were happening. And, and uh, uh, you know, Shoeless Joe Jackson's talking to him and, and everybody's getting to go in the field except Ray. And Ray goes, well, wait a minute, I want to go in the field. And, and, uh, and, and Shoeless Joe said... What's the problem, Ray? And Ray keeps saying something. Well, what about me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And, of course, the truth is it wasn't for you. And so often we say, what's, what's in it for me? And the truth is you, you just we're just servants of the living God. We get to live for Jesus Christ. So don't let pride stop us from doing that. The offer in our lives is living sacrifices. The third thing, this is the key. Uh, oh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, all for our lives. Let's go to the third thing. Let's have the courage to stand for Christ. Obey our great God, standing for him in a fallen culture. This, this is probably one of the hardest things we do because the whole world is shaping us. That's why in Romans 12, when he says, stop being conformed to this world, it literally says, stop being shaped by the world. Because, let me tell you, the, the, you know, you've heard me say this over and over. If you're not consciously and you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. You've heard me say that, and that is true. Here's the problem. If you're not consciously living the Scripture and living it out unconsciously, you're not even realizing it that you're being shaped like the world. And there are so many believers, without even realizing it, they think like the world. They act like the world. They, they, they don't even realize who they are in Christ because it shaped us and it shaped us unconsciously. And it's never stagnant. You're never in a place right here and you're saying, well, I'm either one of these days going to start really going more and more like Christ or maybe one of these days I might slip the wrong way. Listen, you either going this way or this way and it's all the time. There's no in, there's no middle ground there. You're either becoming more and more like Christ or you're being conformed to this world. Have the courage to stand for Christ in a fallen world. Take those Gospel of John's and take them and be willing to say to somebody, Hey, hey, I got, I got something I want you to read and tell me what you think. Or even hold up the back and say, Can you know you have eternal life? I mean, what a great tool to use. Stand for him in a fallen world. May we move past our pride and stand for our great God and Savior, making a difference 
in our community. Let's pray, and, and then we'll keep on keeping on next time. Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. Thank you, Lord, for these truths that we see in this book. And, Lord, we see it over and over and over again that, that you are in control, that you are the sovereign God who works all things according to the counsel of your will, that you work all things together for good, those that love you, that are called according to your purpose, and as we see how you're working and all these things. And even even from a Jewish standpoint, we'd say, gosh, this doesn't look very good with all this stuff happening. From an Egyptian standpoint, we'd say it doesn't look very good, but you are working all things. Lord, may we realize that that uh, in you and you alone is salvation. And in you and you alone is, is victory in the Christian life. And Lord, I hope and pray if there's anyone in this room who's never trusted in Christ, that they won't let any pride or anything stop them. They'll realize they cannot save themselves and their only hope is the Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who know Christ as Savior, I pray, Lord, that we will not stop growing, will not let pride stand in our way, that we will grow and and realize that we're here to glorify you and to live for you and, and none of that other. And, Lord, may we stand for you in a fallen world. Thank you, Lord, for these believers who have come tonight. Thank you for these great truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.